From Gimlet Media, this is Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Adam Davidson. And I am Adam McKay. We all know how the show works. We pick a subject that seems incredibly boring, and we challenge the other person uh, to make it awesome. But I wanted to increase the level of difficulty for you. So I was talking to my daughter, Lily Rose, and I told her the idea of the show, and I told her one of the subjects was interest rates. And Lily's a very smart girl. She's interested in a lot of subjects, but she immediately said there's no way in a million years I would ever care about that subject. So who are you? I'm Lily Rose McKay. I'm 14, and I'm in ninth grade. And you care a lot about animals. Yes, I'm a vegetarian, and I love animals, and I have a cat. Her name is Petals, and she's the best cat ever. And shout out to Petals if you're listening. She's not. She's a cat. Lily, emotionally... What's your response to interest rates? And then emotionally, what's your response to, say, for instance, (laughs) Q-tips? Okay. Um, Emotional response to interest rates would be uh, concern and disappointments. (laughs) And emotional response to Q-tips would be... I have no idea how to emotionally respond to Q-tips. That is a really difficult question. I think... All right. No, no. We're going to do this. All right. So Lily Rose is with us, as well as Pearl, my 10-year-old daughter, who also uh, had a very blank look on her face when interest rates were brought up. It's not interesting at all, and it's no way that you're going to make my sister interested in this. What do you know, Pearl, about interest rates? Um, that you have to, like, sell, like, money to people. Well, you have to borrow money to pe- from people to, like, buy stuff or something. Pearl is, of course, right. Hi, dear listener. Um, I'm going to talk to you now. Throughout this episode, I'm going to break the fourth wall and talk directly to you. And that's for one simple reason. I did explain an awful lot about interest rates. And I have to be honest, when I listened back to the recording, I felt like it was too long-winded and a little boring. So I decided I could do better. So interest rates are the price we pay to borrow money. That's true for people. You know that. Your credit card, your mortgage. It's true for companies, even entire countries. And the riskier you are, the higher your interest rate, the less risky, the lower your interest rate. Just ask Greece. And I'm going to tell you that my biggest lesson as a financial journalist over the last couple decades is this. Interest rates are the single most important thing in the world. Let me give you a very, very quick history. And to help me stay on track, I'm bringing on Rachel Ward, who I'm very excited to introduce. Rachel is the senior producer of Surprisingly Awesome. Hey, Rachel. Hi, Adam. Hey, great to have you on the show. Um, Adam McKay is right now on an insane publicity campaign for his wonderful movie, The Big Short. Everyone should see it. And so I asked Rachel to come and help me with this episode. I am here to keep you on track. And focused, yes. So interest rates are not some invention someone dreamed up one day. They are a fundamental part of being human. They exist in one form or another everywhere there are people. In fact, interest rates show up in the very first writing in ancient Sumer 5,000 years ago. And whoever is doing that writing is completely familiar with the idea of interest rates, of someone loaning something, some grain, some cattle, to someone else and expecting the original amount to be returned plus 
something additional. That's the interest on the loan. The idea is so fully there when writing begins that we have to assume interest rates were around long, long before writing. Right. And one theory, in fact, about why people started writing things down in the first place is that it was to keep track of all the loans and the interest they charged. Exactly. And something like interest rates appear everywhere when writing first shows up. Ancient China, India, Mesoamerica. So let's fast forward a few thousand years to the Middle Ages. Like a lot of things that are primal and fundamental to human life, from time to time, people think this thing everyone wants to do must be wrong. I'm thinking about you, sex. They ban it. They say it's sinful. Yeah. So like pretty much everything else in the Middle Ages, interest was a sin. It was illegal and no one could charge interest. I've been talking to a lot of medievalists about this, and they say it's hard to put a precise date on when the ban on interest is really fully all over Europe. But certainly by 1200, the official position of the church is no interest can be charged on loans. It's immoral. Thomas Aquinas, the Italian monk in the 1200s, was the most influential theologian on this. And he said any kind of interest on a loan was immoral. His argument is really confusing because to my modern brain, it makes zero sense. But he believed money should only be a means of exchange and charging interest on a means of exchange counts as double billing which to him is like stealing, and stealing is immoral, so interest is immoral. Anyway, it made sense to him and seemed to make sense to a lot of people in the Middle Ages because pope after pope for hundreds of years, including during the awful Inquisition, they all believed interest is bad. Right, so absolutely no interest. Zero people are paying interest during the Middle Ages. It is completely forbidden. Except, of course, Tons and tons of people are giving out <laughs> loans and charging interest all the time. Of course. When I think of the Middle Ages, I think of those big, famous, rich Italian families, the Medici, the Peruzzi, the Bardi. How did they get to be rich Italian families? By lending money and charging interest. <gasps> this is the moment of surprise in the show where, surprise, the rich get away with something. That's right. They were so powerful that in some cases they just did it and nobody stopped them. But they also had these really complex ways of hiding the fact that they were lending someone money and charging interest on loans. The most common was to bury this fact in complex transactions. They'd tie it up with currency exchanges, which at the time was pretty easy because there were tons of currencies. So Venice had the Grosso, Florence had the Florin, and they'd be selling gold in Grossos and buying it in Florins, and all of which was a way to hide the fact that they were lending someone money and receiving more than the money they lent because of the addition of interest. So the Pope is totally fine with all of this? A lot of the time, it's the Pope borrowing the money, or it's a king or the king's nephew they borrow money to fund crusades or to fund wars or to just build a really fancy palace. So the rich and powerful, they could borrow and lend with interest, even though it's illegal. At the bottom, among the most poor people, the widows, the handicapped, the desperate, they also were allowed to borrow money with interest. There were these loan sharks. Every medieval town would have them. They were usually outsiders who would come to town and make loans to the truly desperate during crisis time. They had huge interest rates, 40 percent, 50 percent. So why is there all this borrowing and lending, even though it's illegal, even though they have to go through all these shenanigans to get away from it? Because borrowing money is the only way for people to do things they really want to do 
people with money want more money. They want to see their money grow. And people without money still have dreams. They still have things they want to accomplish, and they want to get money to do them. If they're poor, they want to eat food. Or if they're a king, they want to fight wars. And that's pretty much it. The two main reasons people borrowed money was to eat and fight. But the key point here is this. There's no middle ground. If you're rich and powerful, you basically can borrow at reasonable rates and get more rich and more powerful. If you're poor and desperate, you can borrow, but at such a high rate that you'll end up becoming even more poor and more desperate. There's nothing like entrepreneurship, like, hey, I have a great idea for a business. If only I could have some money. I know. I want a new podcasting company. Right, because podcasts weren't invented until the Enlightenment. (laughs) All right. But anyways, when it's working, interest rates are this magical way of bringing two sides together. People who need money can access the money of people who have more of it. But at this point in our history, all of this is happening in the shadows. No one's talking about lending interest rates openly. Then in 1600 everything changes. And like all major changes, it happens in Amsterdam. The Dutch were trying to get their independence from Spain. It was in the middle of the vicious 80-year war. And out of desperation, they dropped the rule against interest rates and they created the first modern lending system. Suddenly, people can borrow and lend at very open, posted, public interest rates. No shame, no sin. And it worked like crazy. It turns out this changed everything. Once their system is up and running, the Dutch are able to borrow roughly three times as much money at one-third the interest. And they use this ability to borrow enough money to fund a war that gives them independence from the king of Spain. Eventually, that money allows them to colonize parts of India and Southeast Asia, and this tiny backwater becomes the richest country in Europe. And the rest of the world starts to take notice. This idea starts to spread, and you kind of know the rest of the story. Yeah. Open interest rates spread to England, all over Europe, and we start to see the very beginning of modern entrepreneurship, of smart people who aren't already rich and powerful getting money to start a business, to invent things. You see a growing middle class. You see more democracy. You see the Industrial Revolution. So all of this is in my head when I'm talking to Lily and thinking about interest rates. But here's what she is thinking. What do you picture when you think about interest rates and and finance and economics? It looked like like your whole body reacted with, um, your face reacted with about as profound a look of boredom as possible. (laughs) I think of like the typical kind of movie depiction of a stock market, I guess. That's usually what pops into my mind. Guys in suits, yelling a lot, looking at some boards with numbers that I don't understand on them. All right. Um. (laughs) All right. By the way. Can I point out one thing? The movie depiction she's talking about is 10 times more interesting than the actual reality. Yes, that's actually true. So what are you into? What does fascinate you? I like music. You sing and you play? Yeah, yeah. I sing and I play guitar and bass. Uh, Yeah, it's really fun. (laughs) I figured if I had a chance of making Lily care about interest rates, it would only be by appealing to something she already cared about. Fortunately, interest rates touch on every single thing we do, including music. That's my way in. And to demonstrate, I enlisted Lily's dad. 
McKay has an old friend, Miss Sophie Lee. She's a great jazz singer who owns and runs one of the best music bar restaurant venues on Frenchman Street in New Orleans. It's called The Three Muses. Let's do it. Let's inject some life into this. Yeah. You can do this, Davidson. I believe in you. Let's go to The Three Muses. I should mention we were all in New Orleans because McKay was filming the big short there. Miss Sophie Lee lent us her private dining room for the afternoon. She was such a generous hostess. She even agreed to sing a song with Lily. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamt I held you in my arms. When I awoke, dear, I was mistaken, and I hung my head and cried. Rachel, she's really good. She is. She's like genuinely good. But I was not here to listen to something as boring as lovely music performed by charming people in an incredible venue overlooking one of America's most charming cities. I was there to talk about something truly important, truly exciting, interest rates. And so to that end, I'd asked Miss Sophie Lee to bring in some of her musician friends to talk about how interest rates affect their lives. Now I feel like if you say the word interest rate, it's like I'm in a race and I have to win against these calculations that appear in my bank account every month. My name is Sarah Quintana and I'm a singer-songwriter from New Orleans. I'm so blue, I don't know what to do. All day long I'm finding just for you. I did wrong when I let you go away. For now I grieve about you night and day. One time I was making a record and I wasn't my album, but I was singing some backup and I was like, how did you get all this gear? Because he has these great microphones and he's like, credit cards. <laughs> so you took out a credit card and bought, what did you buy? I, I got two credit cards and I kind of lived after them after Katrina. And I developed this idea that you just buy it, buy now, pay later. And I got a Princeton Fender guitar amp, which I love. I got this guitar, backpacking guitar. I paid for like train tickets and plane tickets when I was playing gigs, my wardrobe. One time I was on the road and I needed a root canal. So I put it on my credit card. But where do you think you'd be right now in your career if you had never had access to that credit? Access is a really good word because I think credit and opportunities to finance your goals is something that I had access to that a lot of other people don't. And where would I be? I'd probably still be singing on Royal Street. Sarah Quintana is from a middle-class family. She's not rich and well-connected. She's also not desperate and poor. But if she lived in a world without freely floating market-based interest rates, nobody would have lent her money to buy her Princeton Fender guitar amp or her album or her website. She'd be living on whatever coins people tossed into her guitar case as they walked by. Coming up, the dark side of being able to pay for things with other people's money. Why interest rates got such a bad rap all these centuries and the thing we've invented to keep them in check, which also turns out to be pretty dangerous. Honestly, I thought the root canal was going to be the dark part of this episode.
Welcome back to Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Adam Davidson. Before the break, I was talking about how credit and interest rates brought us all sorts of wonderful things. Writing, the middle class, freedom. The Dutch. But as we all know, credit is not all good. I know this personally. I was one of those people. I think the technical term is idiot. In college, I think I got up to five credit cards. No, 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 no. All of them maxed out. I bought everything I wanted. I got into this thing where I was like, oh, wait, there's some restaurants that are really good and you can buy a really nice meal on your credit card. And then after college, I got a job and it did not pay well, but no problem. I'm still living the life of a rich man. I got very deeply in debt. And not to be corny, but... I was in my mid-20s. I had some dreams. I really wanted to be a travel writer. But at the worst, I owed more than my yearly salary in debt, so I needed to pay those debts. And I stayed in a job I hated. It sucked. At one point, my interest rate was more than 30%, which made it all impossible. I couldn't pay fast enough to make a dent. Adam, I'm just sitting here cringing. Are you are you okay now? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm I'm in good shape now. But the interest rate had a huge impact on my life. If it had been lower, I might have gotten out of debt faster. Maybe I would have been able to fulfill those dreams, gotten into my career a little faster, raise my earning potential. And that's why interest rates can have such a profound effect on the economy as a whole. When interest rates overall are really high, Everyone is in a version of the position I was in. They don't buy a house. They don't travel. They don't buy a car. It slows the whole economy down. And so that's why about a century ago, we decided somebody has to be in charge of interest rates. And that somebody is the Federal Reserve. Right. The Fed. This is why you always hear about the Fed in the news. The Fed is going to raise interest rates. The Fed is going to lower interest rates. The Fed's main power historically has been deciding something called the Fed funds rate. And that's sort of the base interest rate in our whole economy. The mortgage rate you pay on your house, the APR in your car loan or credit card, the interest rate on the money your employer borrows to pay payroll when it's a little short. That's all impacted by the Fed funds rate. It is elemental to our entire economy. But when I first learned about it, like a lot of people, I thought, really? That's it? That's the main interest rate that determines the success or failure of our economy? Let me explain it because I actually think it is interesting, but it takes a minute. The Fed funds rate is the amount of money charged on a very particular kind of loan that most people never even know exists. Overnight loans between banks. Every day around 4 p.m., every bank in the country adds up all the money it has on hand, all the money it owes. By law, every bank has to have a certain amount of money on reserve. And so every day, some banks are a little short. Other banks have more than they need. And so the banks that have more than they need lend it to the banks that are a little short, just overnight, 4 p.m. till 8 or 9 a.m. the next day. And the interest they pay on that, the tiny little bit of interest they pay every day, that is the Fed funds rate. And that money being lent between big banks for one night is considered the safest transaction there is. So that is what the Fed controls. They decide what that interest rate should be on those overnight loans. That's it. So as the Fed is raising or lowering that one rate, what they're hoping to do is impact rates throughout the economy and impact the entire pace of the U.S. economy. Because when that rate is low, the economy speeds up 
And when that rate is high, the economy slows down. This is their mechanism for sort of tempering the pace of the entire economy. Right. There was this famous Fed chairman who said, our job is to take the punch bowl away when the party really gets started. Now, the Fed chair can also dump an extra bottle of grain alcohol in the punch bowl when the party is depressing and boring. And this is one of the things that you and Adam McKay were trying to explain to his daughter, Lily, back in New Orleans. It's exactly how much power the Fed has. So, yeah, the movie we're doing, The Big Short, one of the main causes that's cited for the crash that happened in 2008 was that Greenspan, who was the chairman of the Fed, kept the interest rates too low through a booming economy. And the irrash- one of the irrational decisions that came out was getting crazy with these mortgage-backed securities in the housing market. And a lot of people have pointed to those interest rates and the fact that Greenspan didn't raise them when he should have. But it's unpopular because when you raise them, it is going to slow down the economy and the politicians don't like it. Greenspan doesn't like it. His friends who all run banks and are rich don't like it. We don't like it. It means life is less fun. Yeah. And and he he didn't pass that test. He had the moment where he was supposed to do his job and he did not. And so that was a case where interest rates caused the bus, some would argue. That is really interesting. Wow. (laughs) This is actually the whole argument Alex Bloomberg and I got into in a This American Life episode called The Giant Pool of Money. The housing crisis was caused, at least in part, because interest rates were really, really low. People who had extra money kept lending it to riskier and riskier folks so that they could get higher interest rates on the loans. That's a big part of why there was a subprime mortgage bubble. And when that bubble burst, we had the financial crisis. This is why many people these days have heard the term Federal Reserve, the Fed, even though most people have no idea what it actually does. But we know it's really, really important. The Fed has this crucial job. And so to bring that point home to Lily, we gave that job to her. What we arranged for this podcast, which is actually kind of, I'd say, irresponsible, is they've just decided to leave it up to you. The central bank, Janet Yellen, and the 12 members of the Federal Open Market Committee said whatever you tell them, they're going to do that. There was this giant conference that's been going on all year. Adam and I created this fake podcast all as a way to get to this point. So we got Brad Pitt, weirdly, to agree to do this movie. There's just no movie. I mean, it's just... Yeah, there's no way anyone would make a movie of the big short. I mean, come on. So do it, Lil. Set the interest rates. Seven. Seven. That is terrible. (laughs) It's literally the worst decision. I just said a number. Why? No. There's roving gangs on the streets. What have I done? So let me explain precisely why a Fed funds rate of seven would be possibly the single worst thing in the history of the world. The Fed funds rate is currently just above zero because the economy is not growing fast enough to get business growing, people working. The Fed has kept it low to try to help the economy. There's this huge debate right now about whether or not our economy can handle an increase of a quarter of a percent. If some maniac got in control of the Fed and raised that Fed funds rate all at once to 7%, that would not just be taking the punch bowl away. That would be like knocking everybody at the party out, tying them up and holding them at gunpoint. That is not a fun party. Not at all. Specifically, it would be a party at which mortgage rates would triple, business loans would collapse. There would basically be no economic activity. The worst depression ever. It would spread around the world. There would be riots, probably war, 
But there's only one interest rate I care about right now. It is Lily's rate of interest in the topic of interest rates. I asked her for a number between 1 and 10. So uh, where are we now? I don't think we're at 10. No, no, I think we're at like a 9.2. 9.2, I will take that. That's a, that's a home run. I would read a book about interest rates. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa! I wouldn't tell my friends about it, but I would read a book about it. So Pearl? What? So I set myself a challenge. It wasn't just to convince Lily that interest rates were interesting. It was to convince you that I convinced Lily that interest rates were interesting. Um, I don't know because I think she's interested, but I feel like she's she's interested in the people that you brought, but I don't know if she's interested in interest rates. I think she is now. I think I did it. Really? I think so. You want to go ask her? No. So you think I, I did it? Yeah. And you said you didn't think I could do it? No. So what do you think now? I want to see you convince me that... Wood is interesting. Wood is fascinating. No, it's not. So the next one is convincing Pearl that wood is interesting. Yeah. That's easy. No, it's not. I should mention some listeners have asked us to be better about sharing our sources. Much of the information in this episode comes from the amazing classic, A History of Interest Rates by Sidney Homer and Richard Silla. 700 pages that are truly surprisingly awesome. We interviewed a bunch of other people and used a ton of other books, too. And that's all listed at our website at gimletmedia.com slash awesome. Also, for finance nerds, I do know that the Fed is currently using a different tool, interest rates on reserves, more than the Fed funds rate, but we'll save that for another show. Planet Money does great stuff on this. You can find them in your favorite podcast app. Surprisingly Awesome's theme music is by the fabulous Nicholas Bertel. Our ad music is by Build Buildings. This episode was edited by Alex Bloomberg and Peter Clowney and produced by Chris Neary and Rachel Rachel Ward. With help from Julia Kumari-Drapkin. Congratulations on the baby. It was mixed by Michael Garofalo. We spoke with a lot of really fun people in New Orleans, and we'd like to thank them. Thank you to Miss Sophie Lee, who hosted us at Three Muses. She's wonderful, but you don't have to take our word for it. You heard her singing earlier in that duet with Lily. Here she is singing her song, I Will Love You. I will love you with all my heart. I will love you and never stop. With the breath of my soul from my head to my toes, I will love you. I will love you. I will hold Thanks also to the amazing New Orleans musicians who talked to us Ben Shank, Aurora Neeland, John Boot, Mark Samuels, the Panorama Jazz Band, and makeup artist and entrepreneur Julie Hewitt. If you want the perfect red lipstick, juliehewitt.net. Thanks to Dean Howard at the Louisiana SPCA. You can find them on the web at la-spca.org. And it's definitely worth visiting to see their adoptable animals. My favorites at the time of this recording are Kitty Gaga. She is a five-month-old ginger cat. And Jojo, a shepherd retriever mix who loves belly rubs. Petals, if you're listening, please don't be jealous. You can tweet at us at Surprising Show, email us at surprisinglyawesome at gimletmedia.com. We're on Facebook and at gimletmedia.com slash awesome. 
And if you're looking for more awesome things to listen to, check out our friends over at Reply All. They just did an episode called Quit Already about a 53-year-old grandmother whose Facebook rant helped topple an entire government. I think I'm more bored than Lily even. Like, you're really losing me. Rather be watching Rachel Maddow. <laughs>